<laughs> Steve, uh, Steve's correct, I haven't been here for a while, so um, I'm not really sure what's been happening uh, here and what you've been speaking about. I do know it's transformed lives, or lives transformed. I did uh, manage to download, um, what did you call it, Jeff? Delight or, or Despair, a heart response from a God follower. Yes, so I did manage to listen to that. How's the driving going, mate? <laughs> oh, dear. So, uh, I said to Steve this morning, thanks for the opportunity, and I really do appreciate the opportunity just to uh, share here today. So, I, do, I have been here um, probably six or seven weeks ago, and I do remember Steve actually talking a little bit about, I actually wrote it down, transformation being a process, not just an event. And so that's, uh, you know, like, I think that's what we've been talking about a little bit as far as trans the transforming process in our lives as uh, people and believers. Now, true, the Bible does actually teach that there are specific events as part of the process. Um, and they start with salvation events. When it comes to God actually transforming our lives, there's some salvation events, if you like, that happen at the very commencement of our journey. I just listed a few of them, I won't take time to go through all of the scripture readings, but uh, here's a few of the things that, events that happen very early on when we become God followers, when we become followers of Jesus. So uh, the first thing that happens is we're translated from darkness to light. In other words, once upon a time we followed our own ways, our own ideas, we followed the ways of the devil, the Bible calls it, uh, translated from darkness, that's where we lived, we lived in a dark light. And Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14, talks about being translated from that darkness into light. Now, I don't know what you think about being translated from darkness into light means, but I liken it to, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning when you get up and it's pretty dark and you're fumbling around trying to get what you want, you know, like that midnight snack out of the fridge and as soon as you open the door, guess what happens? The light comes on. No, I don't feel guilty. <laughs> The light comes on and you can see everything. You know there's food in there, but all of a sudden the light comes on and you can make a choice and you can decide, do I want the leftover pizza or do I want the... Do you know what I mean? So it's the light comes on. We've been translated from darkness into light. So when it comes to our lives, we've been translated for something where we fumble around, we're not really sure what we're looking for, we're not really sure what life is about. All of a sudden the light comes on and before you know it, we have purpose, we have meaning. We've been translated from darkness to light in your seats now, don't get too excited. It's, you know, it's a wonderful experience. And that happens at the very beginning of our transformation. The second thing is, Steve's already uh, mentioned it today, we become adopted into God's family. Uh, John chapter 1 verse 12. To as many of them as received him, he gave the privilege to be part, called the sons of God. That's what Jesus said. In John chapter 1, he said, if you want to be part, if you want to follow me, you can be, be the sons of God. Imagine that being part of God's very own family. Uh, Galatians chapter 4 uh, talks about being infilled with the Holy Spirit. Not only are we part of God's family, but God gives us a gift, if you like, and that happens at the beginning of our salvation and transformation journey. And understanding what that is all about, being infilled with the Holy Spirit and being guided and directed by Him is a lifetime's experience, a lifetime's learning journey as we go through our Christian lives, if you like. And the outcome of some of those events are these. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings. As we, as we actually become part of God's family, then God gives us all the tools and all the blessings that we need to do what he's called us to do and to live the life that he wants us to live, to lead it as he actually chooses that we should lead our lives. 
redemption and forgiveness. Now, we've just celebrated and we've just taken communion. The fact that we can have our sins forgiven and that we can know the beauty and the wonder of all those sins that we've committed being forgiven and our slate is wiped clean and we have a fresh start. What a wonderful privilege that we've been given. And then, of course, there's John 3.16, our eternal life as an outcome of our salvation. Everybody knows John 3.16? We get eternal life. Again, stay in your seats, don't get too excited. <laughs> Maybe I just get excited about this sort of stuff, I don't know. But, you know, so look, it, it, it's, um, <clears throat> the reality is that God gives us all these things at the beginning of our salvation. When we start our journey with Christ, that's, that's um, the things that God actually gives to us and we, we deposit it in us and there's outcomes of those things. And oftentimes when we talk about transformed lives, we kind of, in Christian circles, we kind of focus on the fact of being translated from darkness to light. And that's fantastic and we want to see, and you know, a lovely story today about the, the, that, that particular story. How many people will have come to Christ because they heard that hymn? Because they saw that, that event. But it's only a very small part of the transformation that God actually wants to do in your and my life. It's like building a foundation of the house. You put down the pad, and you can't just live on the pad, can you? You've got to put walls up, you've got to put a roof, you've got to connect electricity, you've got to connect water. There's all this stuff that has to happen to make a, a, a concrete pad a home, a house and a home. I think sometimes we live far too much, and I think it was Martin Sanders that was here a little while ago, says we do eternal life really well, but we don't do life. Remember him saying that? Yeah? yeah. We don't, yeah, thanks, Steve. <laughs> Somebody's alive out there. We don't, you know, we, we, don't, we, we kind of get eternal life, but we don't do life. I was reading um, this week, and this, this, um, this quote came out at me from a book by Richard Foster called Streams of Living Water. It says, the point of your salvation is not simply to get you into heaven, it's to get heaven into you. Amen. It's not just to get you into heaven, it's to get heaven into you. And I think we miss that sometimes. We miss it completely. And God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. He wants to actually make change in our life. And yes, it's important that we're saved. And it's, yes, that we, it's important that as a church, we put resources towards seeing people come to know Christ. Because if they don't come to know Christ, the, the Bible tells, teaches us very clearly that they spend eternity without Him. And that's a terrible thing. So it's important that we spend time and resources and know what that very first start of our, our point of our salvation is and our transformation is. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, old things are passed away. To all those who believe in Christ, old things are passed away. Is that what it says? Old things are passed away and all things become new. All things become new. All things become new. God actually has a plan to transform us from that old nature, which still exists in our life, in our heart, to give us a new nature. And the theology behind that is that we get the new nature... But day in and day out, we have to keep working it out. We have to keep making choices. And I'd be really keen, I couldn't find Jaden's sermon to download it. But just your, you know, the dysfunction gets in the way of our lives. I'd really love to hear that. Because I believe that's what happens. 
You know, God actually has a plan for our life. Um, another book that I, uh, I have read recently is um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Anybody read that one? Great book, eh? So, hey, sorry. I'm just a country bloke. Ended up a preacher. I don't know how that happened. Um, one of the quotes that he says is this. He says, God is intent on making you into, get this, this is, a, I mean, when I read this, I'm like, uh, God is intent on making you and me into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine a bright stainless mirror that reflects back to God perfectly His own boundless power and delight and goodness. <sighs> yeah. That's what God wants for you and me. He doesn't want to leave us the way we are. He starts, the moment we get saved, He starts transforming our lives and He starts doing stuff in our hearts and in our heads, bringing it all together so that we become more like Christ. That's what His intent is. And I love to think through the theology of that sort of stuff, but today God's put this message on my heart about the process of transformation. Because I actually think that it helps if we know what to look for and we know what the steps are, if you like, when it comes to transformation. When it comes to us actually making that transformation from what we used to be like to what we are today. Yes, God does the work, but we have responsibility in regards to that as well. And at times it is actually quite a difficult process to say yes to the process of transformation, if you like. But I can tell you from my own personal experience and as I story and journey with people who have been Christians for a long time, it's truly worth it. It's worth the energy to make the hard choices at times to allow God to work in and through your life. So, my question today is this, how does it work? How does transformation happen and what are the steps as far as transformation goes? And one of the greatest examples that we see in the Bible is Luke, Luke chapter 24. So, if you have your Bibles with you or you get your devices out, you can look at Luke chapter 24. I'm just going to take time to read it. Um, I'm actually reading from the NIV translation today. Uh, and this is what it says. Hang on, I need to put my glasses on. Uh, now, the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognising him. He asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleophas asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, and, and God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us and they took the tomb early. Uh, they went to the tomb early this, this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that, every, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, 
and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, will not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem and there they found the eleven with those and those with them. Assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus recognised by them when he had broken bread. A tremendous story of transformation. Now, some may say that this story of transformation is a bit like the transformation being saved, and I get that. But I think it's also a, a picture of the transformation that we, as believers, once we are saved, once we are believers, have to, have to make, and have to, the journey we have to go on. The journey of revelation, the journey of transformation. And, and I think it really begins with, um, and, and many of you may have experienced this, but again, I think it's helpful for us to actually know the process. When it comes to God actually making a transformation in our lives, we start out at a particular point, correct? We start somewhere. There's a place where we start. And we may have lived a whole life with a particular attitude or a particular idea or a particular understanding of a particular topic, if you like. And in these, in this, this kind of passage gives us the idea that these guys had an idea that Jesus was to be the redeemer of Israel, Correct? But they were actually thinking about the physical redemption. And so they had questions. When Jesus was actually uh, crucified, they kind of didn't know what was going, going on, if you like. They, they be, as you read that, you can see that they were discussing it with passion. They, they believed in Jesus, but there was confusion, if you like. They couldn't quite understand how the Redeemer of Israel was going to redeem Israel from a cross. And they couldn't quite understand how the Redeemer of Israel was then going to redeem when he wasn't in the tomb. Where was he? There was confusion, if you like, for them. And I think for us personally, oftentimes that's where it starts. We begin to have questions or confusion about what's actually going on, about a particular topic or a particular subject. Now, I, I imagine the discussion that they had on the road there was a pretty decent sort of discussion. Um, my Bible says it was 11 kilometres. Now, that's a fair time to actually chat. I, I don't know how long it would take you to walk 11 kilometres, but it was a fair time to have a chat. I was reminded, actually, of when my kids were little and uh, they were in the back seat and they'd ask a question and we would drive from Muckenboodin to Perth and there was three hours of discussion about a particular topic, or, you know, particular topics. It was like Bible school in the back seat. You know, they'd ask questions, they'd hear Dad preach and they wanted no questions and or no answers. And so it was a great opportunity for them to learn and hear. And these, for these disciples, they'd been with Jesus for three years. And these events were very, very confusing. And so they had questions. But for all the information they had and all the experience that they'd gathered and all the skill sets that they'd regularly employed and all the inside info that they were privy to after being, you know, the 12 disciples that were with Jesus all that time, all that information that they had, they didn't seem to recognise him. I mean, verses 15 and 16 actually says they didn't recognise Jesus. Now, I know you're probably sitting there thinking, yeah, but the scripture actually says that they were kept from, uh, from recognising him. And, and I get that. I understand that. That's the sovereignty of God at play, I think. And that's a whole nother sermon <laughs> about God being sovereign and God doing uh, stuff in our lives without us actually knowing. 
But the focus for this story, I think, is that there was a blind spot that they had, right? They didn't see Jesus. They didn't recognize him. They were in his presence. He was doing stuff. He was right there walking with them. But they were blinded to what he was doing. The focus is the blind spot, if you like, in this particular story. And at times God does that in our lives too, as part of our transformation journey. We all know the footprint story. Remember the footprint story? Walking on the sand, two sets of footprints, and then one. Where were you, Jesus? Well, I was actually carrying you. There's stuff that we just don't recognize. Confusion is not a healthy place to stay at, is it? We need to find answers. All of us prefer comfort over confusion, don't we? We, we like to know the answers. We like when things are comfortable. Uh, we, like, we like to arrive at a place of comfort, if you like. Sometimes it's hard to sort things out. We do it physically, we do it emotionally, we do it socially, we do it spiritually. But we don't like being confused. We like to say, I've got this all sorted, I've got all the edges tucked in, we like to have everything sorted out. We like our place of comfort, if you like. Take marriage, for example. Just when you think you've got it worked out. <laughs> that was a joke, by the way. That was a joke, all right? <laughs> But it's true, isn't it? Sometimes we have arguments and discussions. We have arguments in our house, you know, 30, nearly 30 years. Yeah, we do. Nearly 30 years. You can't live with a... No, how do I say that nicely? <laughs> when two people come together, they're not going to be perfectly the same and you have to work stuff out and sometimes there's the rough and tumble of that. So you have to work it out. But it's so much better when you work through issues, isn't it? The tension before you work through issues, how's that? It's terrible, isn't it? You know there's something going on, but you just can't put your finger on it. And when you finally work it out, it's comfortable. And it's the same thing that God does in us with our spiritual journey. Sometimes God's working in our lives and we just can't work it out. It's in the midst of those blind spots and in the midst of that tension that I believe that God really, really begins to work. See, when our comfort levels are disrupted, I think that's the place of God working. When things are not all smooth, when things are not all easy. You know, last year we went on a cruise, one of those big cruise ships. If you haven't been on a cruise yet, you should go on one. They're absolutely fantastic. So relaxing, so wonderful. And uh, we went out on Mother's Day last year, wasn't it? And... Uh, on Mother's Day last year, there was a massive storm coming into Freo when we got on the ship. And so we get on the ship and everything's all nice and cruisy and all that sort of stuff. Cruisy. Ah. Uh, it was actually really good. Um, and we get on the, and then all of a sudden this announcement comes over, you need to go and do the safety things because you've got to learn how to put a life jacket on. So we all did that. So we all went through all that. And next thing you know, this announcement comes over and the, the captain says, there's a pretty big storm coming in. So it might get a bit rugged. It might get a bit rough. And the, you know, the atmosphere on that cruise ship actually changed from, oh, we're on the holidays, ooh, this is groovy, to, ooh, <laughs> a bit of tension in the place, you know? Uh, and the, the level of the comfort was kind of disrupted. Of course, we cruised off and the ship full steam ahead and we missed the storm and it was all cruisy again. And it was, it was just a wonderful time. But, you know, that kind of, in, it said to me that, you know, when our, our comfort level is, is disrupted, 
things change and we start to question should we really go on this trip do we know how to put a life jacket on what happens if the ship the ship sinks all that sort of all those sort of questions come to us and that confusion that question is we need answers for that in this particular passage the confusion that had arrested the disciples attention and oftentimes in that particular scenario our feelings get connected to what we're actually thinking now blokes i know we don't do feelings all right but just bear with me for a while okay we like things cut and dry we don't do the feeling stuff but uh, let me tell you this that we're we're very much driven by our emotions even if we don't admit it and sometimes it's important that we actually hear ourselves speaking out what the feelings are what we really feel about an issue think about the last time you had an argument with your partner was it just cut and dried you're doing this you've got to stop doing that and we'll be okay is that how it works (laughs) that's what she said to me (laughs) it's not how it works is it I guarantee you, the most blokes will be sitting there, well, there's human inside, and, and all of a sudden, there's this emotion that's there, it's kind of like explodes, and all of a sudden, what you really feel, and what you really think, and what's really going on here, it all comes out. You know what it's driven by? Emotion. We've just got to recognise it, and learn how to deal with it appropriately. <laughs> it's important to recognise it, but learn how to deal with it appropriately. And for these guys here, we really thought Jesus was going to be, he was going to get rid of the Romans. He was going to do this. He was going to redeem Israel. And they, they kind of need, they had all these questions that were coming out in regards to who Jesus was and what he was doing. And he had, they, this, this particular walk, this particular journey, he gave them an opportunity to rehearse their values, what they really thought about the situation, what they were really feeling about this whole scenario. And also to connect the facts with what actually, connect their feelings with the facts that are what actually happened. And it's at this point that I really like, I, I kind of like, as I was preparing this, I kind of like stepped into the text. It's kind of like, this is reality for us as we journey in our lives. Steve started out by saying, we want to do something different today. I want to do something a little bit different. Um, I need a volunteer who is prepared to... Uh, oh, Nick! 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 Nick, Nick, or Nick? Just three of you. No one over there? All right. So, um, you know, I read through the passage in Luke, right? And oftentimes we read through the passages and we just read it, you know, because it's there to be read and that sort of stuff. We don't actually put the feeling and the emotion into it. Um, but I think it's helpful to do that. This is what I call stepping into the text. Now, can you read? I hope so. Yeah, okay, great. Twelve words. I don't know exactly. You mean twelve words? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it'd probably be good, actually. Can we use that I'd one? Oh, there we go. There we go. Would have been nice if you had longer hair, because Jesus has, you know, but that's all right. I'm sure we'll work it out. There you go. The highlighted bits. Not all right? the non-highlighted bits. Not just the non, just the highlighted bits. bits. All right. So what we're going to do is this is how, um, this is, you know, we're going to kind of role play what it would be like doing an 11K journey. You think we can do that? You know what, I can actually 
relate to this a lot because we just finished the Cape to Cape recently. Oh, really? My family and Margie and, and the, the Daniel really? girl over there. And, yeah. <laughs> He'll talk to you afterwards. He'll apologise later. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, this is what it would have been like, I think. So, can we... Don't listen. Can you just read it without any emotion just going around? Okay, you can do that. All right, so here we go. We're going to walk that way. Okay. Oh, we're walking, are we? Yes, yes. I don't know. Oh, no, it's coiled. We only need to get to there. Okay. All right, you ready? Yep. So, off you go. What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that happened there those last few days. What things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man of Nazareth. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. We'll leave it there, hey? Yeah. Yeah. Now, now with emotion? Yes. So, you know, is that how, do you really think that's how they walked? <coughs> do you really think that's how they walked? Do you really think that's how they walked? No! I don't think they did either. These guys were passionate. They'd been with Jesus for three years. They'd seen demons cast out. They'd seen people brought back to life. They'd seen miracles happen. They'd seen Jesus walk on the water. They pulled in a net full of 153 fish. This was life-changing stuff. And now he was on a cross. He's dead. Now he's in a tomb and they can't find his body. I, don't, I think there was, it was just riddled with emotion. Yep. They were passionate. They, what the heck is going on? We've given our lives to this thing and it's turned on its head. Hey, uh, what, what are you guys discussing so intently as you walk along? Are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the things that have happened these last few days? What things? Well, the things that happened to Jesus. He was a man of Nazareth. He was a prophet who did powerful things. Miracles. <laughs> what? Damn, what? And I don't think it was just, you know... Thanks. Fantastic. Round of applause. think it was just as cut and dry as you know jesus said 12 words i reckon there was quite a bit of communication going on body language a bit of hmm oh really ah mm. you know and we kind of read the text and we don't actually step into it enough to get the emotion and see what's really going on you with me this was they had given their lives for this thing and they were totally confused by it But you know what? Verse 26. Have a look at verse 26. You would think that Jesus would simply give them a few instructions. Um, the reason I'm using this Bible today is because it's a what they call a parallel version. So it's got the New International and the Message all down the, on the same page. The Message Paraphrase. Anybody read the Message Paraphrase? If you really want to get the emotion and find out what's going on, I recognise it's a paraphrase for all you theologians out there, so I don't do my theology from the, from the paraphrase. But if you really want to step into the text, have a look at that passage, have a look at that paraphrase. Verse 26, verse 25, Then Jesus said to them, it's on the message paraphrase, You thickheads. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it says. You thickheads, so slow-hearted. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophets have said? Now, do you think he said that like, you thickheads, why can't you simply believe? 
Or was there passion in his voice? I think there was passion in his voice because it's at this point the transformation, the opportunity for transformation. They had to challenge their thinking. Jesus had to challenge what was really going on in their hearts. He had to challenge what was really happening in their lives. And it's that point they have to make a choice. You thickheads, so slow-hearted. Why can't you simply believe all the prophets have said? Don't you see that these things had to happen and the Messiah had to suffer only to enter into his own glory? Their thinking about the physical redemption of Israel was skewed. It was all wrong. They'd missed the point. They'd missed the point that they needed to be redeemed for eternity, not just for the next 20 or 30 years. And after three years of teaching them, they still didn't get it. When our reality is confronted, it forces us to make a decision. Jesus didn't leave them there, he went on and clarified. Verse 27 says, he explained the Old Testament prophets to them. The eternal significance was revealed to them. And they began to start contemplating that maybe they've got it wrong. What's interesting to me is Jesus didn't leave them in that particular scenario. He kind of motioned that he was going to go on. Yep, I'm going to go on. You know, oh, no, no, stay with us. No, you guys are so thick-headed, I'm just going to leave you with us. But no, he didn't do that. He said, no, we're going to, okay, I'll stay with you. And that, to me, speaks of communion. You know, when Jesus, when God confronts us, he doesn't just leave us. He actually provides comfort and communion around about us. And I'm amazed at the journey in my life when I've had to make really hard decisions, how many times people have come around me. God has given me some pretty special experiences, some pretty special people that have come into my life. And it speaks to me about God and the way in which he comforts and has communion with each one of us. Jesus chose to stay. They recognised their need. They recognised that maybe he had answers. Maybe there was something more to this. And they wanted more. So Jesus obliged. And then, of course, verse 30 and 32, there's the, uh, what I call consolidation, the aha moment. Do you know about that? Any of you teachers here in the school? You see that in the classroom every once in a while? All the time. Wow, excellent teacher. <laughs> every once in a while, you go, it's like the penny drops. It's like, aha, I get it. And as a teacher, you go, good work. Because they finally got it. And there was the aha moment. All of a sudden, it's like the blind spot, the scales have been removed, the blind spot's removed. This is Jesus. Breaking of the bread, this is Jesus. We get it now. And then verses 33 to 35, there's the consolidation. They tell the story. They go back to their there are other disciples and they tell the story this is what actually happened what time are we supposed to finish by the way who cares okay so they tell the story so let me tell you this particular story i want to just kind of ground this in my own personal journey i'm taking a bit of a risk here but i think faith is risk hey so a while back ago i woke up one sunday morning and by the time I got to the breakfast table, I could feel myself actually not wanting to go to church. I'm supposed to be the pastor. <laughs> um, there, there, I actually wasn't a pastor at the time. At the time. 
Um, there was actually so much work to do around the, the place. We live on half an acre in the hills, and so there's lots of leaves to rake up and all that sort of stuff. There was so much work to do. And, and actually, I'd been out the previous five or six weekends doing a whole lot of God stuff, youth care stuff, all that sort of stuff. So, I, you know, like I hadn't had time to clean up around the place. The grass was, well, the lawn was now grass. There were weeds everywhere. The retic needed priming. There was a whole lot of stuff that needed to be doing. And I'm thinking... I really need to stay home and do this, you know. I really need to stay home and do this. I really don't want to go to church today. And so by the time I got to the breakfast table, I was like, you know, so faithful Holy Spirit, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together. Do you remember that verse? Yeah, I remembered it very well that day. (laughs) So I kind of, you know, did the process and thought, okay, I'm going. Righto, that's it. Thought I was done with it. Uh, But then... um, Brecky finished and I was kind of like, I really don't want to go. But I thought I gathered all my stuff and I thought, you know, don't, you know, not forsaking yourselves together. And this is all the transformation process. And all this stuff's happening in my head and my heart. Does this happen to you or is it just me? It's just me? <laughs> oh, well, I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, so, you know, all this stuff's happening in my head and my heart. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm grabbing my stuff to go to church. And I'm thinking, oh, got to go to church, all right. And anyway, on the way out to the car, like at our place, you walk out to the car, it's not just into the garage, you have to walk out. And uh, so I walk out to the car and I, I said to God, I don't think you can call it a prayer, this church service better be worth it, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, we got in the car and we, we drove to church. And the, uh, the conversation in the car was pretty groovy, we talked about a bit of family stuff and it was quite a nice drive and... Um, I wasn't in any hurry, it was quite relaxing, and to my, I was greatly encouraged that we were 10 minutes late. Because, you know, like, if I'm going to go to church, well, I'll just be there as little as I have to be, you know. And uh, so when I got, I'm just being, like I said, it's risk, I'm just being brutally honest, I'm sorry about that. But, um, you know, like, I walked in 10 minutes late, and I was like, fantastic, everybody's sitting down, we just go straight into communion, I'll do the communion thing, I'll say thanks God for reminding me about not forsaking yourselves altogether, you know, go through the process, I'll listen to the sermon, we'll exit early, we'll go home and I'll get back to the, the weeds and the grass. So, um, to my surprise, we sat down, everybody sat down, um, the guy who's leading communion gets up and he thanks, thanks the whole music team for doing their thing and proceeds to say that he wants to talk about this subject of worship. No communion, just straight into the sermon. And I'm like, and I looked over at Rachel, rolled my eyes, and I'm like, here we go, this is going to be another, you know, erroneous sermon. Do I really have to be here? What on earth am I going to be here? You know, I shouldn't have come to church in the first place because it's a terrible thing that we, you know. The thing is that when I was lecturing at Bible college, I taught the subject of worship for years. And from my point of view, it's the most um, overworked. People don't really understand what it's about. They don't really understand the theology behind it. And every time someone speaks about it, it's all about emotion. It's never about the theology of it. And I'll go through the whole process. 
And, you know, like, if people would just take the time to study the Word of God and realise that worship is actually spoken about 112 times in the Bible and there's six different meanings of worship and they could understand really what each of those different, meaning, different meanings was and so on and so forth. And we go through the whole process of it. They, they understood what I stood. They, they understood what I understood. They wouldn't speak about worship the way that they would speak about it. But now here I am sitting in this church service that I didn't want to come to and now I have to listen to this erroneous service. Grumpy? <sighs> so I'm sitting there in the church and um, God says to me, Brad, you can listen or you can be a Pharisee. And I'm like, Pharisee? You see, previous to that, I've just prepared a sermon on Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. And if you read that particular passage, it was uh, the, the Pharisees affronted Jesus about the tradition of hand-washing. Basically, you know, I, I spent 40 minutes talking about this to the church, but basically the bottom line is that the tradition of hand-washing started, it was actually ordained by God, spoken about by Moses, and it was actually there for the priests to wash their hands properly so that when they did the sacrifice, everything was done well, decently in order, clean. And when they gave out the showbread and all that sort of stuff, it was all cleanliness, you know, uh, Maybe even that's where the phrase cleanliness is next to godliness came from. I don't know. But over the years, down through the years, the Pharisees had clarified and identified a few different issues and now the whole idea of hand washing became a tradition and anybody who was a follower of God should always wash their hands for everything that they do because, you know, like, it's really, really important and instead of being uh, a sign that it was of God wanted in, inner purity... And a reminder that God desired in a purity became a level of spirituality as to whether you washed your hands or not. And the point of my sermon was actually the Pharisees should pull their head, on, head in and let Jesus get on with ministering. So God says to me, you can be a Pharisee, Brad, or you can listen. Yeah. In the church service. I wrote down what I, uh, uh, what I, um, what I said. I, I realised, you know, that I'd actually gone off on my own crusade when it came to the topic of worship to enlighten the church and enlighten individuals about what worship was. And somewhere in the midst of that, I'd forgotten that worship was about engaging with God. It wasn't about how you did it. It was about whether you engage with God or not. Now, today I actually realise that I don't have all the answers when it comes to the topic of worship and I'm not a full bottle on the subject. And there's much more I actually need to learn in the area and that's okay. That is really okay. I'm not the authority on the matter. God is. I'm not the keeper of the doctrine of worship. God is. And for me, on that Sunday, God gave me a choice to be a Pharisee or give the preachers a chance. I made the choice. I repented. I changed my attitude. And I actually started taking notes. And as it turned out, it wasn't an erroneous sermon. It wasn't really livid. It wasn't experience-based. It wasn't a dead fish, hand-shaped sermon, as I call them. <laughs> it was actually quite empowering. I learned heaps. And I was still writing down notes halfway through the last song. No disrespect to the music team. 
And that night around the dinner table, guess what my kids wanted to talk about? Worship. And there's Dad. No rights or wrongs. No this, that, this way, that way. Just a simple, honest discussion about worship and how to engage with God. Folks, I want to tell you that that's the transforming, transforming power of God. It happens right here. Right here. You know, Lee, I love your story today, but that sort of stuff doesn't happen unless God does something in here. We're not sitting here today of our own volition. We're sitting here because God's done something in here. It's God's transforming power. And that's what transformation is about. Yes, it's about salvation, but it's about the day-to-day decisions that we make. I had what was called a DRA, what I call a DRA. Do you know what that is? A dirty, rotten attitude. (laughs) And the dirty, rotten attitude started at the breakfast table and it turned into an STP. Do you know what that is? (laughs) A stinking thinking pattern. (laughs) DRAs and STPs. We all have them. We all have them. God wants to transform them because he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. He wants to make us, as C.S. Lewis said to us, he said, shining examples of what a Christian spirit, of what a Christ-like spirit is like. Now, I am saddened, but I'm also compelled, as I stand here before you today, to tell you that that story, in reality, was not too long ago. And the church I visited was this one. That old nature, that DRA and that STP, left unchecked, destructive. Very, very destructive. Attitudes in our own church family cause untold grief, pain, and suffering and I've seen it it's disabling it's debilitating and it's destructive to the word work of God and the work of God God hates it and he wants to transform us we have to make the choice just like the disciples there on that day had to make the choice do they want to listen more to Jesus or not God graciously took me through the steps of transformation that day. Managed to contain it within a three-hour period. Sometimes transformation takes a lifetime. Sometimes a couple of months. But I want to ask you this morning, do you need an attitude adjustment? Are there attitudes you're harboring towards each other in, harboring towards each other in the congregation? You don't have to put your hand up. But you know if God the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You can choose to walk away we can cho- and, and you can choose to live with the outcomes of that decision. Destruction, grief, discontent. But they can all be avoided and actually be replaced with love and graciousness and gratitude if you'll just transform, make that choice and recognise what God's doing in your heart. We are of the same humanity as these disciples. It's the same God and the same Jesus that we encounter every single day in our lives. We can be transformed just like these disciples. So please, choose transformation. Transformation is not just about seeing lives into the kingdom. It's about lives in the kingdom 
living God shining light. If I can have the music team up, that would be great. If God's spoken to your heart today, I'm not going to ask you to come out. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads. You know what God is calling you to do. If God's asking you to transform today, then please do it. He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. So as we sing and as we end our service today, know that God wants to transform you in every way possible. Let me just pray. Father, thanks for the privilege of being able to hear your word today. I pray that it would be your words that remain today, none of mine. Lord, just your story of how you want to transform our lives. We give you thanks and praise that you continue to journey with us, no matter what our state at this stage of day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Greg.